Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles if you have one handy. And if not, you can certainly grab one from the end of the uh, pews there uh, to the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth, I suppose it's the eighth or ninth book uh, in the Old Testament, uh, right after Judges and right before First Samuel, Samuel, kind of situated uh, right in there. And as we continue uh, to con- consider this missions month theme, and particularly today, this idea of uh, going, praying and sending uh, the book of Ruth might seem like a little bit of an unusual place to turn and. And well, that's because it probably is. But uh, as we turn there and speak from this part of Scripture, I think we'll find that it actually is really helpful in a number of ways. Uh, a couple of reasons that I think it'd be great for us to look at it today. Uh, one is that we finished up last year a series in the book of Judges. And in the life of our uh, church, uh, many have come in since we have started our church body five years ago. But we walked through uh, in the early part of the year, uh, Genesis, the book of Exodus, our second year. I think we tackled Judges the third year or I'm sorry, Joshua, the third year and Judges uh, last year. Maybe maybe another book or two mixed in there. So we're finished, finished up Judges last year at some point in the late spring. And uh, as we move into First Samuel, starting next week, you can see the, the outline in the back part of your worship guide for our messages coming up in a, a few weeks. thought it would be good to pause just for a minute and give this little book of Ruth at least a, a week of our, our time and attention. There's a lot more there, but we'll, uh, we'll spend today looking at it. Uh, in thinking in terms of missions, I guess that wouldn't probably be enough reason to, to justify taking taking our time to, to look at this book this particular day. But I, I had the opportunity, uh, Patience and I, my wife Patience and I went down to the, the Dominican Republic with the Mission to the World uh, conference training for missionaries. And the missions director, the new missions director, Lloyd Kim, for our denomination's missions organization, he spoke for several days from the book of, of Ruth. So I figure I'm, I'm on OK territory here with this idea of speaking about missions from Ruth. And and then uh, lastly, I like the idea of thinking about living missionally through the book of Ruth because it's a um, it's an everyday story. And most of us here are really everyday people. Uh, We're excited, hopefully, about the fact that God's captured our lives for his purposes and we want to be used and yielded uh, for him to to live in whatever way he wants us to. But we 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 go to our regular jobs. We're not halfway across the world on the mission field and we see our friends and neighbors and we're raising our kids, many of us. And we're, we're doing relatively day to day things. And the book of Ruth is interesting because uh, it, it it doesn't exactly jump out to you because it is so sort of routine and day to day. And I thought it'd be great for us to look at in this book how God is at work and how the choices people make uh, to live missionally affect things as well. And, and, and that maybe we could take some message for that from that for our lives uh, here today. So let me pray for us and then I'll uh, give you some general scoop on Ruth and we'll read a passage or two and make some application. Let's pray again. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for parts of your word that uh, maybe upon first reading, even second reading, third, fourth reading, we um, we maybe scratch our head a bit and would wonder uh, what it's doing there situated among the many other things that you tell us about and reveal to us in your word. And and then we thank you for 
opening our eyes up to see uh, your purpose and your plans and how your words put together. And we ask that you'd help us to see that from Ruth today, that we'd be better equipped to go pray and send from our time in the next uh, 25 minutes or so. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said and just prayed, the the book of Ruth tells a a story that honestly, when I first read it, however many years ago that I was kind of reading through this part of Scripture, I I wondered uh, not only whether, you know, this kind of passage would work well for a missions month message, but what it really was even doing within the context of uh, God's word. Uh, As some even in our own church have written about, a lot of the Christian life is kind of mundane. And this is a story about the things of uh, of God that happen in the midst of of the mundane things of our life. There's a, there's a little bit of, of drama here and there at the beginning. There's a famine, but really we're only told about the famine in the first couple of verses. And, and we don't have time to read the whole the whole book today. So I'll just give you the highlights that we're really just told about the famine so that we know why this guy, Elimelech, and his wife, Naomi, and his two sons go into this foreign territory, this pagan land of the Moabites. Uh, they're from the Hebrew people, but, uh, you know, we, we hear about this little famine, but that's only in passing. There certainly is some tragedy because we find out quickly that uh, Elimelech dies. His uh, sons had married Moabite women, but the two sons within 10 years of living outside of their homeland, they die as well. And we have three single adult females in a foreign world to one of them. In a world that's not exactly watching out and protecting uh, folks in that situation. As we read uh, through it, too, we we don't notice any uh, huge uh, battles taking place. There's not really a a whole lot of specific message from the Lord or any particular miracles going on. So the question for us today is uh, not only what does this teach us about missions, but probably just what is it? Teach us what is the message here? Well, walk with me a bit uh, through it as I summarize and then we read a few verses here and there. So keep your keep your page turned there to to Ruth. And and what I hope is, is that as we zoom in on a few of the details and then zoom out at the end to see how one particular detail affects huge things in the kingdom of God that we'll see the importance of what God wants to teach us here Uh, as a widowed female all alone in a pagan land. Naomi, uh, having lost her two sons who had married these Moabite uh, women, one of them whose name was Ruth. uh, Naomi has little choice but to make her way back to the land of her people, the, the Hebrew people, back actually to the territory of Bethlehem. And in going, she interestingly uh, tells her two daughters-in-law, not that they should come with her, but that they should stay, that they should remain there. And she's actually pretty forceful about it. She tells them multiple times they try to come with her. She sends them back. She even warns both of them, hey, you're coming back to an impoverished situation. It's a bleak lifestyle for you. There's no hope for you necessarily to have other husbands and you may just, you know, struggle through life, living on the edges. And yet Ruth responds in this way. Look with me at chapter 1, verse 16. Naomi's given her this warning, but Ruth, it says, 
said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you for where you go. I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Ruth is seeing who God is. She's come into some kind of conversion, some kind of saving relationship with the Lord. And it means a great deal to her. And she doesn't want to abandon it. And she actually is excited about being able to be with God's people. When we get back, then they travel back to the promised land. This famine is apparently uh, now long over. Ruth and Naomi have to get settled. And uh, and we see uh, quickly that that Naomi doesn't even want to be called by her original name anymore. She now wants to be called Mara. And it means bitter. She wants them to call her bitter. You know, talk about being uh, sort of wallowing in your struggle. She said, just call me bitter. Because my life is that bad. I'm back here from this foreign land and I've lost everything. My husband's, my son's, and she has Ruth in tow. But it's fascinating to watch Ruth's response. Not from the people of God, only somewhat recently having converted and kind of come into the kingdom. Look with me at chapter 2, verse 2, and see how Ruth responds. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. And then Boaz said to the young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she's a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from this early morning until now except for a short rest. You're getting the picture here. This is the Old Testament welfare system, we might call it. Give her permission to go out to the edges where the leftovers are, and she can work, in this case, for what she would receive, but uh, it it will be the, uh, the leftovers, if you will. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to the young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young women, the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and have and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. He means repay you positively. And a full reward will be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me, have spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not 
one of your servants. That's a little hard for us to discern probably how much of Boaz's interest might be on the romantic side. How much of his interest is kind of fulfilling his family responsibilities because he's from the same line as Naomi's family from the line of Elimelech and how much he's just trying to fulfill what the Old Testament people were called to. And we are called to in missional living to reach out, right? reach out to those who aren't from within the fold and welcome them and love them and show God's grace to them. But all of these things are certainly at work, and even in it, we see that Boaz is fulfilling some of who Christ is for us. The scriptures even call him a redeemer. The word that's used there is a redeemer. He's a rescuer. He's a savior of sorts for Ruth, and we see in him a picture of Christ. Flip with me over to chapter 4. And we see as we come to the end of the story, and then we'll make a few application points. Starting in verse 8 of chapter 4, there's a, uh, a contest of sorts, I guess you'd call, between two people, Boaz and another guy, who could potentially claim to be the redeemer or the rescuer of Naomi and Ruth. Okay? The other redeemer figures out that this is kind of a raw deal. There's not much he's going to get out of it. And so you see here, starting in verse 8, So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. That was their contract custom. Then Boaz said to the elders of all the people, you are witnesses this day that I bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and belonged to Chilion and Malon and also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon. I bought her to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance that the name of the dead may be not be cut off from among his brothers from the gate of his native place. You are my witnesses this day. Hey, Boaz steps in. He, he does what needs to be done. He shows love and grace and mercy to this family who he really has uh, no direct connection with other than being in the line of the family. And then read these last verses of uh, chapter 4, verse 13, because we get a picture here about why all of this is so important. And, and before we go there, maybe we should do this. Let's, let's just kind of, let's make sure we're getting our, our bearings here with the whole picture, okay? What, what, what's happening with Naomi and with Ruth? Uh, and think about it in terms of missions, okay? We've talked the last month about God's call for us to be going, for us to be sending, for us to be praying, for us to be outward focused in that way. You know, Naomi's family, they don't go to the Moabite territory on some great mission trip. They go just because they're out of food. They, they go over there out of practical necessity. It's fascinating. God's sovereign plans they are not going there on some great mission. They're not even having that intentionality. But they go there nonetheless in God's plans. Uh, we know scripturally that God's people are urged, you know, not not to, to marry outside the, the faith, that, uh, that that's not uh, not uh, the best best move in the scriptures. But uh, but we see that that maybe uh, uh, Naomi and, and her sons failed to read, you know, I kissed Moabite dating goodbye. You know, they maybe lost that book in their uh, their bookshelf. So they nevertheless uh, marry. And then these two women come into their family, one who stays behind and Ruth, who comes along with 
we we could look to uh, not only for some of those situations, how they're playing out. But 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 what about some human potential? Surely the the men who go off into this foreign land, they're going to do something great for the Lord. They're going to reach these Moabite people within 10 years. Elimelech, both the sons dead. They're gone. There's not much human potential there that's going to happen. And then uh, Ruth, who, uh, you know, is the one who genuinely seems to embrace the Lord. Her mother-in-law, instead of urging her to come on back, you might say urging her to come to church, urging her to come back to the people of God, says, no, go stay. Don't even come back to the people of God. So you get the picture. There's almost nothing happening that's pieced together quite the way we would want to orchestrate it in order to say, let's go do a powerful work of the kingdom with the Moabite people. Is that you tracking with me on that? There's, there's not much happening there. And yet God is powerfully at work throughout this story. And you see the culmination of it at the end of the book of Ruth in verse 13. Look there with me now. It says, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. Remember, she wanted to be called bitter. And they say, you are blessed, Naomi. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons. This Moabite woman has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and he became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi. And they named him, listen to this last sentence, Obed. He was the father of Jesse. He was the father of David. Get the picture? Some of you all knew that story before. Some of it's maybe new territory for us. A lot of. Human potential, don't even see a lot of the people in the story really making what we would call missional decisions, making choices for God's kingdom the way probably we're desiring to and hoping to. And yet still in the midst of it, God is working out his kingdom purposes to bring in this woman, Ruth. And then Ruth is going to end up being the father or the mother of one of the grandfather and then the father of King David, God's people through whom the line of Christ will come. It's a powerful, powerful story. And it it makes me uh, think of some of the accounts that maybe we've heard of of how God works through lines of of action. And as we we start to kind of pivot from this and look at some main ideas for us to take away, it it makes me think of the story of Edward Kimball. You all have probably heard this before. I may even have shared it. He was a a shoe salesman outside of the Boston area uh, back in the 1850s. And uh, he he taught Sunday school as well. Uh, We don't know a whole lot uh, more about him, but, you know, a faithful businessman, a faithful churchman. And he he shared the gospel with a guy by the name of Dwight Moody. You all may have heard of him. Uh, He ended up becoming one of. Uh, the leading uh, evangelist, sharers of the gospel, not only in the States, but around the world back in the late 
1800s. It's interesting to me not only to hear that uh, the man who shared the gospel with him was uh, a, a shoe store owner and a Sunday school teacher. Nothing, you know, too terribly dramatic about this uh, gentleman just being faithful to the Lord and the place that God had called him to. But but listen to what he said about Moody. I found this this week. I had never read this before. He, he said this about Moody, who became a, a powerful world evangelist, the kind of Billy Graham of the 1800s. He said, uh, I can truly say, and in saying it, I magnify the infinite grace of God that has been bestowed upon Moody. That I have seen few persons whose minds were spiritually darker than his when he came into my Sunday school class. And I think that the committee of the Mount Vernon Church, that's where he was a member, seldom met an applicant for membership more unlikely to ever become a Christian of clear and decided views of gospel truth, still less to extend the sphere in public usefulness. Interesting, if you chart the story, the the church actually rejected Moody's first application for membership. Right. How would you like that? Come through the Cross Creek Church membership class and not oh, sorry, I've come back next year. And that's what he did the next year. He, he joined and then God used this man. If you've been up to the Chicago area, they have the Moody radio station and Moody Bible Institute up there. But 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 that's not actually the whole story. Edward Kimball, shoe salesman, shares the gospel with Dwight Moody. Highly unlikely person to even be a church member, apparently, yet is used by God. Listen to the rest of this. Moody shares the gospel and led F.B. Meyer to Christ. F.B. Meyer reached out to a guy named William Chatham. He preached the gospel to the evangelist named Billy Sunday in the early 1900s. He traveled the country. Sunday shared the gospel with a gentleman named Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham would become a little country pastor in a little small town in North Carolina and would share the gospel with a man named Billy Graham. Pretty amazing the lines that God connects that we don't always see connecting. The way that he brings about his plan. And if you were to take away just three or four things from from looking at Ruth today, the the first one I want to say, and it seems like a strange one, okay? Now, if I were you out there sitting and you're saying it's missions month and it's go pray sin, I'd be expecting me to start out by telling you something you need to do. I'm going to give some things for us to do in a minute that we ought to do. But what I want us to see first is the tremendous peace, the tremendous power, the tremendous security that comes from realizing that God is doing things that you or I don't even see. He's doing powerful things in and through you and me, even in our weakness, even in our brokenness, even in these decisions that Naomi and her family make. God is still powerfully at work for his kingdom purposes. And that's true for you and for me today. You got that? I think that's huge for us to to realize the second thing that I would say that we see is that God does, nevertheless, use our choices and use our lives. Right. Naomi kind of wallows in bitterness. She comes back and she's I can't. This is God's plan for me, but I cannot handle it. And I just I'm going to sit in bitterness. And Ruth says, I'm going out to the fields. I'm going to go find something to eat. 
She's again, what's her grand plan? Her plan is just to put food on her table. And who does she meet? Boaz, who just happens to be from her family line, who just happens to have a vision. So she's taking action. And then look at Boaz. Boaz is taking action, too. You know, he doesn't seem like a guy that has like a ton of influence, but the influence he's got, he's going to use it. You see, from the very beginning, he says, watch out for this. Let this gal have have room. Protect her. Watch over her. He's thinking about the kingdom and how he can love her and care for her, even though he barely knows her. We see him using what power he has for God's kingdom purposes and making choices that way. Does that make sense? So Ruth is is living out this commitment that she has made where she says, your God will be my God and your people will be my people. And she's walking in that. To me, that's that's living in mission. That means that's what it means for us to be a missional church, to say we'll we'll walk in whatever steps God provides for us and we'll look for him to use us and be intentional that way. God doesn't need us to do that. But we're often privileged to be used when we do walk that way. Third thing that we see with her, and I think we need to keep at the forefront of our mind, is we do have a desire to see conversion happen. This is a book about conversion. She goes from being in some other belief system, whatever it was that the Moabites believed, to saying, I believe in your God and I want to follow your God. And that is so strong to me that I'm going to go with you to your people, even though I'm going to be an outsider. It's, it's conversion, what we call conversion taking place. And we need to remember that. In, in all that we do missionally, uh, going to the, the trip that we're looking at in Clarkston, going to our neighbors and having them over for dinner and getting some time with them, connecting up with folks on our kids' a sports team, talking to somebody at work about the gospel, uh, giving to the missions that we're doing, uh, supporting, sending emails to the missionaries. We, we ought to be doing a lot of serving. We ought to be meeting some tangible needs. But the end result, the end desire that we should have should always be that folks would be coming to know Christ, that folks would be crossing over from death to life. So we pray that we would keep that in mind as well. We see it center, front and center in the book of Ruth. And then lastly, what we see here is interesting. Both through Ruth, okay, I read you the verses at the end about Obed and Jesse and, and David. Both through Ruth, that part of the story, and, and how all that's going to come to fulfillment. David's going to be the king and Christ is going to be the fulfillment of that kingship. He's going to be the ultimate king. We see Christ there. We also see this picture of Boaz, this redeemer, this one who... Uh, who sets aside some of the things that he wants in order to care for and, and protect and watch over and rescue. And, and even the language at the end of it, we know it's an ancient culture. And so there's sort of this purchase mindset that he's buying this family. But, but what a picture of what Christ does for us and how he buys us and purchases us, how he's our redeemer, as we are, in a sense, uh, uh, foreigners to the kingdom of God. None of us has the right to be in the kingdom of God in and of ourselves. God chooses to love us and welcome us in that we might experience his grace and his mercy. So uh, by all means, I hope that this missions month has been a time that has kind of fueled a bigger picture of the living God than we had before. 
I, I hope that it's a, a time as we hear testimony and sharing from different missionaries and even folks locally at the foundry whose lives have been touched by Christ, that it's, it's causing us to have a, a deeper thankfulness for what Jesus has done in our lives. And then we're, we're looking around more about how we can live in a missional way here. I know we've talked about that each week and, and so forth. I, I hope that we've uh, as we continue to think through support of these missionaries and giving that we're we're thinking about our lives and more of a sort of wartime mentality of maybe we take the thousand dollar vacation instead of the two thousand dollar vacation or maybe when that bonus comes at the end of the year we have in our mind we want to give that to mission i hope we're doing all of those things but but in all of it in all of that the beautiful thing to me is that god's at work He's at work using, you know, his treasure, as the scriptures say, in jars of clay, people like me, people like you all, to spread his kingdom. And uh, we have the tremendous blessing to be a part of that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this book of Ruth and the uh, uh, truly impacting message that it gives to us of how you are at work. Uh, often through uh, what might seem to us like just random decisions and directions that uh, that people head. And yet, Lord, you are bringing about conversion. Uh, that power of who you are is causing folks like Ruth and like Boaz to respond and to want to follow you in the way that they live and the decisions they make. And ultimately, Lord, we thank you for all all of these things ultimately point to the work of our Redeemer, our Rescuer, who was in the line of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen.